Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. What makes the Buffalo Shooter a bedroom terrorist tick? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. We're talking today about Peyton Gendron. He is the 18-year-old mass shooter who recently opened fire at Topps Friendly Supermarket in Buffalo, New York. Now, why am I talking about him on the Terrorist Therapist Show? Because he is one of the first bedroom terrorists. Now, I've talked in a previous podcast about a bedroom terrorist in England. Um, basically, what this means is a someone who has been becoming radicalized, whether it's radical Islamist terrorism or, in the case of Peyton, it is hate against blacks and against Jews, what makes them, um, how do they get steeped in all this hate such that they then go out and commit an attack? Um, well, this, this is a very interesting story, very tragic, of course, story of Peyton, um, in that he the bedroom part, the bedroom terrorist part comes from the fact that uh, he, during lockdown, not that he was, as you will hear, not that he was a perfect picture of mental health before the COVID lockdown, but during the lockdown when he, just like uh, all of us, had um, too much time, well, <laughs> I don't know that all of us had too much time on our hands. I think some of us made good use of it, but um he with his time that he had too much of on his hands because he was locked down he spent that time online online not doing not you know learning anything not doing anything productive but going into essentially the dark web um websites where there are um like, um theories and um all kinds of propaganda, basically, um, to convince people to become anti-black, and as I said, to become anti-Semitic. Um, and so when when COVID was over, well, <laughs> COVID isn't over necessarily, but when the lockdowns were over, um, and people came out of their bedrooms, people came out of, obviously, some people look at their their computer, uh, go online in the living room or other rooms of their house. But um, in, in Peyton's case, it really was his bedroom because because he was hiding some of what he was doing and planning from his parents. And um, he hid all kinds of things in his bedroom, uh, like guns and um, other paraphernalia that he used to commit the uh, mass attack in the supermarket in Buffalo. Um, now there are the, these conspiracy theories, of course, online, and he bought into them because he was a very lonely and um, likely mentally ill. Well, um, definitely mentally ill. That the what's only 
what's left is just to give him a specific diagnosis. But um, he he was um, he was ripe uh, for becoming uh, a believer of all of this, and so he um, when. Uh, he also, he not only uh, steeped himself in these kinds of websites, hate websites, but um, he also uh, played violent video games. He played laser tag with his family. His father bought him a gun. He had three guns. The first one his father bought him for Christmas when he was 16. Does that sound familiar? Um, that is just like the... Um, the school shooter in Michigan. Do you remember Ethan Crumbly? His father bought him a gun for Thanksgiving just days before he um, committed the school shooting. You know, it's really interesting to look at these fathers. Why do they buy their sons guns? Now, you know, depending upon where the person lives and what the, I mean, you know, the excuse, of course, is hunting. And I'm not, this is not about being anti-gun, but it is about, um, First of all, making sure that you're a teenager, doesn't have any mental problems um, before ha putting a gun in their hands. And second of all, um, having a real, you know, a reasonable and limited um, place to be shooting the guns, like hunting. I, I am not against, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it is, one could imagine that a parent would have a reasonable thought, um, despite, you know, of course, hunting because that's a whole other story, and I'm not going to I'm not going to get off on that tangent. But, but I mean, the point is that there was nothing reasonable um, that it really that uh, Peyton's father bought him a gun for. I mean, there was target practice that he um, went to, and so on. But, but why did he have to go <laughs> for for target practice? And of course, the answer now is um, so that he could commit this mass shooting where he um, he shot 13 people and he killed 10 of them. So I guess his uh, laser tag and his uh, shooting practice and his violent video games were a big help. Um, in any case, um, there were... Well, let me start by just giving you the uh, recounting for you because you've probably heard something about this already. But let me just sum up what the actual event was. It happened on May 14, 2022, it was a mass shooting in Buffalo, New York at Topps Friendly Markets. Very unfortunate uh, and ironic word, friendly market. It was friendly until this date. Um, Eleven of the victims were black. He live-streamed the attack on, twi on Twitch, just like um, the man in New Zealand did when he attacked the two mosques. Um and he is currently charged with first-degree murder temporarily, to which he pled not guilty. But he's also being uh, investigated and to be charged with a hate crime and domestic terrorism. Uh, he wrote a manifesto that he left online. What does that remind you of? Um, you know, that is what terrorists often, I mean, radical Islamist terrorists often do as well as uh, other, you know, p people who perpetrated mass shootings. Um, he calls himself, describes himself as a white supremacist. And basically, this was in support, he came to believe in the far-right great, Repla great replacement conspiracy theory. That is a theory where... Um, 
where it is thought that people of who are not white and who um, have more children than white people do um, will ultimately replace white people, you know, of European descent. And also it relates to the idea that um, there is all of this mass immigration um, in in America, of course, it is more than ever. The doors are <laughs> the doors are wide open, and there is a welcome mat on the ground uh, in the southern on the southern border, despite the fact that uh, COVID, you know, has made everybody else uh, go crazy trying to prove that you have a vaccine or or that you have a negative test, and yet the door. Uh, to the southern border is wide open and people aren't being tested for the most part and aren't being vaccinated for the most part because people are basically, you know, just uh, sneaking in or, or some of them aren't even sneaking. They're just being let in. Um, okay, so it's the idea that this is done on purpose to um, replace white people. Now, um Uh, now, the, the thing that is really, well, there are lots of things that are terrible about this, but one of the, the worst things is that um, there were red flags. You know, there, there was a newspaper headline about this that said, uh, no red flags in regard to this attack and this young man. Well, in fact, there were lots and lots of red flags. Nobody paid attention to them. But the main red flag was in June 2021, so almost a year ago, um, where he was asked by a teacher what he plans to do after graduation. And he responded, I want to murder and commit suicide. And he talked about, you know, like having, doing a mass, a mass murder and, uh, and suicide. And, um, and so the school did do the right thing in the sense, well, they did do the right thing in the sense that they called the police. And the police did the right thing in the sense that they brought him in for mental health evaluation. And he was released and he told everybody that this was just a joke. He was just kidding. He's not going to murder anybody and, you know, commit suicide. He's just kidding. Well, of course, now that we have his manifesto and his diary, we know that he was not, and of course, the fact that he did it, we know that he was not just kidding. But not only that, we know that he had planned this for months and months, and we know that he was a very troubled young man, a troubled child, um, for years. So the fact that this could happen, and I'm going to be talking to you in the next segment about his family, um, the fact that this could happen in America and uh, in a what people thought was, a, most people thought, was the perfect family, right? It's always in the perfect family that these kinds of things happen, um, is, is really terrible. So obviously, you know, who, who dropped the ball here? The parents dropped the ball, as you will hear. The um, school dropped the ball because they let him be graduated, you know, when the, I mean, they just, I guess, believed the psychiatrist that there was no problem, that he was just kidding. And uh, they, not only did they let him be graduated, but he rode in his father's car, like they had a parade, and he rode in his father's car where he, they had on it, congratulations, Peyton, and all that. 
and um and you know they they he was just he was uh included just like anybody else so the parents fault the psychiatrist fault the police's fault for not keeping track of him after this and also for not getting a um a, a judge to commit him to this um psychiatric facility because if they, there's a red flag law in New York um where people who are in, um, involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital get a red flag um, where then if they try to buy a gun, um, it shows up. Now, of course, he also bought guns in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, so I'm not sure if that would have shown up there. But in any case, again, it's not about the guns. I want to really stress this because certainly Biden uh, took the opportunity with this case just like he does or just like a lot of uh, some politicians do in general whenever there is a gun attack to blame the guns instead of the person and the parents and the police and the psychiatrists. <laughs> so let's not, um, I, I'm not really, I don't really want to focus on the guns. Um, Now, he wrote a 180-page manifesto. He actually did well in school. Um, and so he was a smart guy and as far as book smart. Uh, and, you know, um, and he wrote a 673-page online diary. 673 pages. You don't do that in a couple of months. Um, he has been troubled. You know, it was very painful. A lot of the things that he wrote in the diary were expressions of his pain uh, in his life. Things that were, you know, how, I mean, he felt his life was so painful, he was so lonely, but even before the COVID um, uh, lockdowns, he was so lonely and so troubled. And COVID lockdowns, of course, just heightened this. And I consider the victims of this attack, the uh, victims at the Tops Friendly Markets, I consider them uh, collateral damage to the lockdowns. Well, when we come back, um, I'm going to be talking about his family and how this, why, how and why this should have been stopped much earlier on. So stay tuned. You've been listening to the Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned, and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking about what makes the Buffalo shooter, a bedroom terrorist, tick. Well, um, I want to talk, I think one of the most interesting things um, about this bedroom Buffalo shooter there. That's what I should have called him. The bedroom buffalo shooter. But people wouldn't know if they didn't know about this phenomenon of bedroom terror, bedroom terrorists. In any case, um, before I get into what I think is the most interesting part, which is his relationship with his, with his, basically his childhood before he did this, um, uh, I just want to talk, mention, uh, clarify or explain a little more about, um, the, the um 
manifesto, the great replacement theory, I'm sorry, his manifesto, about the great, the far right, white nationalist, far right, great replacement conspiracy theory. It was um, formulated by Renaud Camus, and it claims that whites are being uh, subjected by elites to genocide through immigration and decreasing white birth rates. I mean, that's what I was explaining before, so I want to just put it neatly in a package. Um, so basically, what he thought he was doing, you know, his his uh, motivation was to be part of fixing, you know, trying to prevent um, that from happening, uh, whites being replaced by killing blacks. I mean, there is a logic here, even uh, in his twisted mind, because obviously his killing, you know, however many black. Well, he wanted, he planned on killing more people. He planned on um, after he killed people in the in the supermarket, he planned on going into the neighborhood, and he chose this place, this supermarket, in this neighborhood because he, you know, he googled these things. He did a lot of research, and he found that that had a very this neighborhood had a very high population of black people. So, um, in his diary, I, I'm going to read to you some things from his diary because that really they really uh, explain where his mind is at. He said he wrote in his diary, I would like to say I had quite a normal childhood, but that is not the case. It's not that I actually dislike other people. It's just that they make me feel so uncomfortable. I've probably spent actual years of my life just being online. And to be honest, I regret it. I didn't go to friends' houses often or go to any parties or whatever. Every day after school, I would just go home and play games presumably he means violent video games, and watch YouTube, mostly by myself. If I could go back, maybe I'd tell myself to get the F off 4chan and get an actual life. Um, in a post that he posted on December 9th, 2021, he talked about being in the emergency room of a hospital for 20 hours on May 28th, 2021. So that was when um, he's referring to um, when the police brought him to the hospital after he threatened to kill people at graduation or or some other place, you know, a, ma a mass attack of people. Um, he said, as a result of alluding to his, well, he, 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 he described this hospital stay as a very negative experience that encouraged him to take action. So he also considered, before choosing or settling on this supermarket, he considered other targets, such as churches, malls, elementary schools with mostly black attendees, synagogues. And then he decided against um, doing it on a synagogue because um, he had wanted to do it on March 15th, which was the date of the New Zealand attack. But um, he actually, it, he ended up, you know, doing it later, but when he was thinking um, of doing it on March 15th, um, that wasn't a Saturday, so he figured that there wouldn't be enough Jewish people in synagogue because um, it wasn't the Sabbath. So, you know, he did, he did think about these things in a rather twisted way. Okay, so um, let me tell you some more things from his diary. Um, more entries. 
Uh, let's see. He wrote, my current beliefs started when I first started to use 4chan a few months after COVID started. Every time I think maybe I shouldn't commit an attack, I spend five minutes on, and he, he mentions this um, specific part of 4chan, which is P.O.L. from politics, uh, then my motivation returns. Then he, he talks about, you know, going um, on the streets in this neighborhood, um, you know, after the supermarket. And he says, problem is, it's going to most likely be chilly, so I can't tell who's black immediately. I mean, this is really hateful stuff. Um, his diary is essentially a conversation with himself, and um, and sometimes you know he was questioning whether he should do this or not. Uh, sometimes he was fearful about committing the attack, but then he he thought that his only options were to either go through with the attack or to commit suicide. He said, "Quote: I'm not proud to kill these lads. In fact, I'm desperately looking for a sign of evidence or evidence." proving that I shouldn't. And he talked about how this was his effort to to save the white race. Now, here's what I think is most interesting, one of the most interesting um, things that he wrote in his diary, and this was on January 16th, 2022. He wrote, I was born three times. First one was my actual birth, 6-20-2003. That one is obvious. Second one was someday in 2006, which was also the day of my first memory of waking up in my parents' bed. I was three, and it was like I had no memory of anything before. I was exploring my house that day, wondering where I was. So now, obviously, in this second time that he was born in his mind, uh, three years old, um, waking up in his parents' bed. Now, clearly something traumatic happened in that bid at age three that started him down his path to um, to having psych problems, um, whether it was his seeing the primal scene, which is seeing his parents having sex, intercourse, or whether it was his being abused, sexually abused by a parent, or what, but it was obviously something that really stuck in his mind um, strongly, you know, to the extent that he says this is one of the three times that he was born. So in other words, something happened that was so traumatic, it shook him up completely. It was like being reborn. And then he says, I, I walked around, explored my house, wondering where I was. He didn't even know where he was. Now, granted, he was three years old, but still. The third time was sometime between 31520 and five five twenty. There I lost myself and a bit of my sanity. I remember I went to my cousin's house with a mask and full get-up, and no one else did, and seeing that caused me so much pain. Eventually it was too much to bear, and I had to leave early and walk home through the woods. I then barricaded myself in the basement for a few days. Now, tell me something. <laughs> How, um, so this was in, in 20, in, in early 2020. Um, how is it that his parents didn't think 
that there was something wrong. This was before he told his class that he wanted to attack people and kill himself. Um, how did his parents not notice that there was something wrong when he barricaded himself in his room? Um, I can't tell you how much I don't want to do this attack. My only other choice is suicide. I can't go back. Uh, I have wondered if I'm mentally ill, and that's why I'm planning the attack like I am now. The past seven years have hurt so much. I think I'm ready to abandon it all. So these, this is the kind of um, these are the kinds of things um, that he was writing. Um, which clearly show a very troubled, if not improbably mentally ill, I mean likely mentally ill mind. Um, it is mental illness. So when I, why I'm hesitating about that is because he hasn't yet been diagnosed with schizophrenia or manic depressive illness, but schizophrenia, and especially since he's 18, because that is often when schizophrenia first shows its head. Um, be, between 18, 17, 18, and the early 20s. So this could all, um, but I mean, the thing is, just like what I've talked about in regard to terrorists, that it's the same, it is the same pattern that there is um, a dysfunctional family, often some degree of mental illness, then they are, these are people who remember, I, I, well, if you have listened to previous podcasts, I often talk about how um, mental illness is not a separate, is not necessarily, not necessarily separate or mutual, they're not mutually exclusive. Mental illness and terrorism of some sort, they are not mutually exclusive because in fact, people who are mentally ill, such as schizophrenia, are more vulnerable to believing they're they're isolated and they're more vulnerable to believing whether it's radical Islam or you know hating blacks and Jews. Um, now there have been varying reports about his parents. Um, some you know they've asked the neighbors and and classmates classmates and classmates friends or classmates parents. Um, and so they've gotten various descriptions of his parents. His parents were um, engineers and they worked for the state, you know, so they they were very well educated. And if you've seen pictures of their home online, they, they have a pool. They live in a very nice home. Uh, interestingly enough, their uh, neighborhood, their, their town is 95% white. So he didn't get his hatred of black people um from from in fact he writes about that that it's not from personal experience in fact um one of his friends who is black you know was of course particularly upset about all this but talked about how he was nice uh to them so um anyhow so the varying accounts that that have come out about his parents are that his mother was perfect um that she was a PTA mom and that she was, you know, very active in the school and was doing all, always doing all kinds of things. He has two younger brothers. So living in the house was his mother, his father, and his two younger brothers. And they have pictures, or well, they had, um, you know, a lot of these things have been t taken down, but but they're in. Um, you still can find them in news reports. So as I was saying, his parents um, presented themselves to the world 
as if they were the perfect family, the two parents and then um, Peyton and his two younger brothers. And they, in fact, there are pictures um, where they are wearing matching pajamas, um, you know, and then there are pictures, you know, with them all having played paintball and so on. All of this, this was what they were, they were uh, showing to the world. But um, really, uh, behind closed doors, um, it was, there was something much, um, much, much darker, obviously. Well, in the next segment, I will go into uh, some of the things that Peyton did that are unbelievable that his parents had no clue about. They didn't want to know about, obviously. You've been listening to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Starfish Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about what makes the Buffalo shooter, a bedroom terrorist, tick? And I've been giving you uh, some insights into that, primarily, um, you know, from his own words, which really tell the whole story of how lonely he was, how um, friends in school, um, although they although they, they seem to have believed when he said that he was only kidding, when he threatened um, when he said what he wanted to be when he grew up or, you know, when he was graduated was to be a, a mass murderer, to kill people like at a graduation or somewhere else. And it's so interesting that they then let him be in the parade at the graduation. I guess they didn't really think that he was serious. Um, but anyway, I was starting to talk about his parents and I was saying that, you know, there are some, some people said that his mother was the perfect mother, uh, perfect PTA parent. Other people said she was stuck up. Um, some people said that his father was odd. Um, then um, I, was, I was telling you about the matching outfits in Facebook po- photos and so on. Um, but, you know, there were so many things that the parents were totally blind to. Now, he was, first of all, he was very lonely. He wrote about how, um, you know, his parents really don't don't care about him and um and perhaps you know he felt replaced that they were paying more attention to his younger siblings um let's see uh like he he was talking about how he lied to his parents about everything um he said i i lied nearly the entire time i said i was doing fine in school oh after he was graduated from his high school he went to a community college um but just for a short time um, I lied nearly the entire time. I said I was doing fine in school and going to every class when I haven't been in class for weeks now. It's going to make me quite upset when they realize the truth about what I've actually been doing the last few months. And then he talked about, um, you know, he describes a distant and sometimes adversarial relationship with his parents who were civil engineers. Um and the thing is, he said, my parents know little about me. Um, 
you know, they have all these vacation pictures the parents do on on uh, on Instagram and Facebook and so on, and um, and they did manage to keep this illusion um, about being wholesome, God-fearing parents, but who obviously were missing all the signs of trouble in at least one of their children. Um, he describes his relationship with his parents in his online diary as, dis- as distant and estranged. Um, as a child, he felt he didn't have, quote, that much importance, unquote, to his family. And the, the, he said that they were unaware that he had become a self-described white supremacist. But then also he said, my parents know something's wrong um, because, you know, because a year before the attack, that's when he told everybody he was going to kill people. Um, and let's see. Um, oh, and then so on April 15th of this year, so now he, the thing is, he had, he ordered weapons and he ordered like um, um, uh, gear, you know, all kinds of um, of gear that he wore when he did this mass shooting. And he had them delivered to his parents' home address. Uh, he stored weapons and tactical gear in his bedroom, including the semi-automatic rifle covered in racist graffiti that he later used. I mean, he had all of these things um, um, in fact, one of the interesting things that he had was the name of one of the um he had you know very anti black sayings and and uh, he had the name of one of the victims of the uh Waukesha shooting um on one of his guns um you know, it was it was to show that um, this was part of his belief, you know, in the in the Great Replacement theory that these, of course, the people who were killed in Waukesha were mostly white and um, were killed by a black man. So this was part. I'm sure he probably read that on 4chan or one of the other um, hate websites. So he wrote. Now on April 15th, he wrote this year, April 15th. And again, the attack was on May 14th. Um, he wrote, my parents know something's wrong. So he he needed to carry out the attack sooner than he was originally planning. Um, and he wrote a goodbye letter to his family and put it in a drawer near his computer. So he was, you know, probably figuring he was going to have suicide by cop when they found him, you know, after he was conducting the mass shooting at the supermarket. So now here is one of one of the worst, um, if not the worst, uh, one I guess one of the signals, one of the red flags that were missed um, in terms of how troubled he was and what his plans were. He once stabbed and beheaded a feral cat. Now now there are three um, signs of a burgeoning um, sociopath. One is bedwetting, one is wounding or killing animals, and one is fire setting. Now, I haven't come across anything um, that talks about his uh, doing fire setting, but I haven't read his whole diary or manifesto. Um, so perhaps there is something in there. But in any case, he um, 
he justified killing this cat um, by saying that it had been attacking the family cat. The family had a cat named Paige, uh, P-A-I-G-E. And apparently or allegedly, this feral cat came into um, the garage and um, was going to attack or did attack um, the, the house, the pet cat. And so he um, he stabbed this gray tabby cat, feral cat, and bashed its head in before, listen to this, get <laughs> ready for this, before he grabbed a hatchet and hacked the animal's head off. Now, I would say that that is a pretty distinct and classic, actually, sign of a sociopath. So um, he has lots of diagnoses um, that could be applied to him. Uh, certainly, sociopath is one of them. He said, when I came home at 10.30, around 10.30, I was eating pizza bites when I heard my cat Paige scream from the garage. Uh, I quickly enter, and the gray cat was attacking her. I then spent the next hour, an hour and a half chasing the cat around the garage and stabbing it with my knife, the camo one. So he had a knife with uh, that was decorated with camouflage or the case was decorated with camouflage. Um, he took notes, meticulous notes of the killing, of how he killed the cat. He recorded the time when the blood spilled from the cat's mouth, what knife he used, as I said, and how many times he slashed its net its neck until its head was detached. Um, he also posted pictures, photos of the cat's decapitated body and his own face sprayed with splatters of blood. Quote, it bled from the mouth at about 11 and at about 11.45 I was able to grab the cat's tail and wind up and smack the cat's head on the concrete ground. I did that a few times. And when it went limp, I grabbed a hatchet and swung at its neck 20 times until it came off. Um, he wrote that he had no empathy or emotions after killing the cat. Now, that is also a sign of a sociopath. They have no remorse and cannot feel really what, um, what that felt like. You know, cannot understand, cannot feel for what they kill. Um, honestly, right now, I don't feel anything about killing that cat. I thought I would be in pain, but I literally just feel blank. And so his mother, listen to this, his mother, when he told his mother what he did and about the dead cat, his mother gave him a box to bury it in the backyard. She didn't take him to a doctor, a psychiatrist, thinking that there was something odd about how he killed the cat, if not the fact that he killed the cat to begin with. He said, just took a shower and now I'm here. I barely even dug the grave. It is so shallow. Well, my cat Paige is safe now from that evil feral cat. May you find bliss from consciousness list. Um, I guess he's talking about the dead cat. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, a month before this killing of the feral cat, he wrote in his journal how his cat spent more time with him than any other person in his life over the past few years. Quote, 
My cat, Paige, has hung out with me more than anyone else in the last few years. I hope when I'm gone, my family can take care of her properly. So, you know, that really um, says it all. And um, just to, I just want to finish by comparing this to a terrorist, a radical Islamist terrorist. Um, we see the same, the same, um, uh, the same uh, pattern before the attack, which is, I mean, um, you know, I've done lots of um, lots of podcasts um, about about analyzing other terrorists, you know, uh, analyzing particularly radical Islamist terrorists, but even you know, uh, people now accused of domestic terrorism, such as the uh, Michigan school shooter, for example, and I analyze who they were before they committed the attack so that we can try to understand these people better so that we can try to prevent these attacks, whether it's a radical Islamist attack or a school shooting or a supermarket shooting. Um, so, um, you know, in these, in these people's backgrounds, they come from a dysfunctional family. They are lonely and lost. Um, sometimes they are bullied. Um, they are, they then steep, steep themselves in terrorist propaganda, whether it's radical Islamist terrorist propaganda or propaganda like with the Buffalo shooter, um, to hating blacks and in, and, um, websites also that, uh, are anti-Semitic. So um, they, you know, steep themselves in that. They, they um, also get involved with playing violent video games and violent, all kinds of violent media. And then they have access to weapons, whether it is um, terrorists teaching other terrorists, wannabe terrorists, how to make bombs, or whether it's fathers buying them guns, like in the Buffalo Shooters case. Um, and then, of course, there is some trigger. Now, um, this Buffalo shooter was a student of all the other um, mass shooters, you know, terrorists, but also, I mean, radical Islamist terrorists, as well as other kinds of mass shooters. And he learned, um, you know, learned techniques. I mean, learned, for example, to stream it, like like in New Zealand, like the New Zealand um, shooter did, uh, I mean, attacker, um, the, the one who attacked the mosques and so on. And um, and he studied all of this and he filled himself with hate and he filled himself with um, aggression. And, and he was able to do this inside his room, inside his bedroom, <laughs> and with his parents, not having a clue, even when um, it was brought out to the school and the police, and he was in a psychiatric hospital. I mean, clearly his parents did not continue um, ha having him get therapy or treatment, any kind of psychiatric treatment. It would have been, it should have been therapy, uh, ongoing therapy, as well as medication. But his parents just believed him, wanted to believe him, that um, he was just kidding. I mean, it's, it's kind of unbelievable that they never walked into his room um, and they never saw any of these guns or his, 
his warfare, his uh, his hat, his in fact his mother washed the lining of his hat. I mean, what what did she think? He was this was just uh, like cowboys and Indians, or you know, playing war, playing with soldiers. Um, I think that the parents should be held responsible. Should be um, just like you know, the parents of the school shooter in Michigan are are in jail now, and they were. Um, they were charged as well. And I think the parents of this Buffalo shooter should be charged as well. Well, the more we, we, you know, start becoming, um, uh, we don't close our eyes, stop being in, the more we stop being in denial and open our eyes to these patterns that keep happening again and again, whether these shootings are in a grocery store, um, um, and, and, um, um, you know, um, um, what's the word, inspired by uh, online hate sites or whether these are radical Islamist terrorists inspired by radical Islamist sites. All right. I know I've gone on a bit long, but I just found him fascinating, especially because he can give us some clues to what to look for in others. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nets for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at TerrorismForKids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.